at the end of the day, it is a business. You know, you're making tough decisions, but need it. Welcome to the House Flipping HQ podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of wholesaling and house flipping businesses. The systems and automation that we discuss will help you build a real business instead of another job for yourself. From beginners to those doing hundreds of houses a year, we go deep into the details and strategies that are working today. And now your host, Bill Allen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the House Living HQ podcast. This is Bill Allen. And today I've got a good friend of mine, an incredible investor, Jeremiah Johnson with me. How are you doing, Jeremiah? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. Hey, uh, so you just came off a vacation to Pensacola Beach, huh? We did. We did. Redneck Riviera. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Good seafood and plenty of sun. I'm, I'm really tan. Yep. The video uh, people are going to love that. So we, um, uh, we call it LA, Lower Alabama. So um, is that, do, do people call that Redneck Riviera? I've had yep. three people say that to me since we got back. Yep. You nailed it. The Redneck Riviera too. Yep. Uh, I like to say I, I live in, I used to live in LA and people would go, oh yeah, I love Los Angeles. No, it's Lower Alabama. So um, beautiful. Yeah, it's great. And I even got to, I didn't get to see you, but I got to try to see you from the air. So I was down there flying uh, the T6 with the student and uh, flew down to Pensacola Beach when you guys were out there. So did you guys see me? Absolutely. You, you flew right over and then just banked. Yeah. So I did a couple passes just, and my cell phone was working at a thousand feet. And we'll just say that I was at a thousand feet because that's where I'm supposed to be. So um, I was kind of texting you guys saying, Hey, did you see us? Yeah. And then my cousin was over in uh, Perdido key. So right after I left you guys, I went and overflew him and his uh, family over there. So it's pretty cool. You know, I wasn't aware, but after I saw the plane, I realized they fly night, a day and night, just they're all over there. So those guys are training constantly, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. We do. It's one of the most heavily um, trafficked area, like the um, uh, Milton, Florida is, has some of the most takeoffs and landings of any airport in, uh, in the country. So, I mean, Class Bravo airspace is really the, the most heavily trafficked airports like Atlanta and Orlando and Miami and stuff like that, LA, uh, New York, but it's just class Charlie airspace over there in Milton, Florida. And we just are in and out all the time. There's two fields, the North field and South field. The North field has the airplanes and the South field has the helicopter trainers. So we fly a ton of sorties. There's our flight schedule is like six pages long. It's pretty impressive what goes out of there. So nonstop the future of our naval aviators. So really cool to be able for me to get to go down there. It's an honor for me to get to go down there and fly with those guys. So I just happened to be down there for the week and I had to do some uh, currency flights and stuff like that. So on that flight, we were actually going out to, uh, where do we go? We went to Acadiana, Louisiana for some etouffee. So we stopped, we did some training out there. We flew along the uh, Mississippi River through uh, New Orleans at a thousand feet all through the city of New Orleans. And then we went out to Acadiana, landed and got some uh, dinner and then flew back home at night. So it was a cool flight. I, I love this flight. So fun. Yep, for sure. But it's kind of nice uh, living that life, right? You're got a real estate investment business that's running without you and you're down in Pensacola relaxing on the beach. It was a nice vacation. Well needed. I don't know about running completely without me, but we're working on that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, so let's talk, just share with everybody a little bit about kind of where you are, um, what your journey's been like, just to kind of catch them up. I know you've been on the podcast before and a lot of people do know who you are, but if they're just tuning in, like tell them a little bit about you, what your investment company looks like, where you're at, things like that. So we're in our third year, third full year of business. I am based in Denver, Colorado. Our business is actually in Wichita, Kansas, and we just moved into Kansas City. 
as, a, as an expansion market. Uh, we do primarily wholesaling and then we do some flipping and then I've started an affordable housing company where we're doing contract for deed or, or owner financing for folks. So we kind of have three main functions, but that's really uh, more just a buy and hold, you know, and um, we started out of the gate really, really quickly. Our first year we, we did over a million in revenue and over a hundred transactions, which was awesome. Um, and we're really on a trajectory. Second year, we flatlined. We didn't really grow. Actually, we may have went down just a bit if you compared year over year. And the, um, the numbers of, of revenue and profit year one versus year two, I think we did a lot more and made less. Um, worked harder, not smarter necessarily. And, um, but it was still a great learning experience. And then now you're in year three, uh, we're, we're really reworking the business to not replay another year two um, and to accelerate the growth like we did year one moving forward and, and to really capitalize on the second market that we just started in Kansas City. That's awesome. So this is the fourth podcast that I've recorded with you guys. So Andy, uh, McFarland, Mike Simmons, Becca Shea, and now you. And all of us have kind of talked about a little bit of the struggles and things that have happened over the past few years. Me and Andy talked about this kind of compression of um, you got this gross profit growth, but the net profit uh, shrinking last year and figuring out what to do this year. And you just talked about this kind of crazy growth and acceleration the first year and you as a business owner, keeping a lot of it, but you're probably also doing a lot of the work. Right. And then, so year two, you're starting to see a little bit of a decline or this flat line. Um, I, I don't know if flat line's the right word, right. But yeah. um, just kind of this flattening. Right. And because, and, and so we're talking about some of these things and it just keeps, I feel like we keep, bringing up kind of the same topic. And it's definitely when I take the pulse on everybody inside the seven and eight figure group that we have, this is a lot of what we talk about and what goes on. Like we care as business owners as, as what we keep. Right. And then maybe, you know, how much time we spend too. So we have this time resource and we have this profitability, right? So for me, my profitability went down a little bit when I brought on my COO, he makes a pretty good salary. So, and I'm okay with that. Uh, but as long as I'm keeping an eye on it and watching it and really making sure that the risk that I'm taking as the business owner and all the money that's out there and the loans that we have and all the things that I'm signing for is, is according, like it's lined out with that profitability. So I'm not taking massive risk and only making $50,000 a year. It makes no sense. Right. So I think a lot of people in the group are trying to really figure out what they want to do, whether it's this big company like we have, we just happen to have very similar companies like Andy and uh, Mike and, uh, and then Becca has a little bit different company than us. And a lot of people in the group might be two or three people not have these massive uh, organizations that are doing hundred plus deals a year. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, what do you think happened year, like year one versus year two that caused some of that kind of um, let's just call it uh, like, <laughs> let's call it flatlining. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I learned this business as an acquisition manager for somebody else in another market in Denver. And um, what I've come to realize is that I'm, I'm really good at the sales aspect and, and buying the properties. But I, there's a whole nother learning curve that goes along with owning and running a business, you know, and, and, and also managing the multidisciplinary uh, teams that come along with running an entire business uh, from lead management to transaction coordination to disposition, just all the different functions. They're different people, different personalities. And, and having been in sales management prior to starting this company, um, I, I felt fairly comfortable there. But now I've, I've come to realize that I'm probably 
not the best manager on a day-to-day basis. I'm more of a strategy implementation and figure out where we need to go next for the, for the profitability. But um, it, it's been a, an evolution of, of, I guess, becoming aware of what you don't know, you know, because um, we grew, 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 grew. And um, it, it felt like we were growing because of the volume that we were doing and seeing the numbers, but we were, we were moving faster than our bookkeeping. And, and so we got, I don't want to say we got over our skis, but by the time the dust settled and we, and we did the accounting and, you know, you, you basically balance the checkbook. You're like, Whoa, (laughs) how did that happen? And so um, this year I hired a COO and uh, we've, We've, I've really come to, we're, we're basically, I'm accepting the fact that we're taking a step or two back for three steps forward, you know, like let, let's tear it down and re, and build it back up and use the, the, the core competencies that we've developed, what we're really good at. And let's really focus and work on the areas that we're not so good at and become more efficient because at the end of the day, we all work really, really hard and to do it for, to take all the risk and, and not have a commensurate income is, is no fun. So that's why, you know, that it's really, it's almost been pain has pushed me (laughs) to to really analyze and look at what we're doing and let's rework this and, and having the group, you know, and having a new blaze a trail with Nate has, has been a big thing because knowing that somebody else has went through that, uh, and it's, it's been okay really makes it a lot, I won't say easier, because it was really, it came off the tongue easy. Like, well, we'll probably see some turnover. Well, now that we're in the middle of it, it's, it's turnover. You know, it's painful. It's expensive. There's emotion involved because I recruited all these people one-on-one, and now there's somebody else managing them, and, and they think that, you know, I've basically turned my back on them, which is not the case. It's just I'm choosing to be a manager and a business owner versus a friend because, you know, it, it, that's, what, that's what a business is. And for me, that's, that's been a learning evolution too, because when I first started, I thought we'd all just, you know, we'd be friends and we'd all work in the same direction and it, 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 it'd come out great. And, and it has for the most part, but it's, it's been, it's been an expensive journey, but it, it, a needed one, I guess, if you will. (laughs) A lot of of stuff there. So like I was, I was, even you just said needed one. I was going to bring up the fact that I feel like, you know, we go through this journey and we hit these points and I hit it just like you. I said, you know, Hey, we could probably just stay and keep doing this and do 1.3, 1.5 million and just put it on autopilot. And I would make good money, but we wouldn't hit kind of the targets of the goals that I had, but more importantly, the goals that my people had. I, I, I saw my staff saying, I want, I want more. I want more than this. I want to do more. They kept raising their hands saying I wanted to go bigger and do better things. So it got me to the point of saying, well, do I want to do that or not? And at the point, at that point, I was kind of going more towards the house Living HQ side with some of the coaching that I was doing and some of the, the leadership there. And I realized that I wasn't paying as much attention to my staff. So it kind of pushed me into hiring that COO um, that I needed. And thank goodness I did, because I really feel like we have the highest performing team that we've ever had right now, hands down. They are phenomenal. And just like you said, we went through a lot of bumps and bruises. There's a lot of people that I used to, you brought up, you brought up management and you brought up family and team and kind of that kind of thing. So when we had a guy come out to our eight figure event last year in October, and he was talking about the difference between management and leadership. And I never really thought about that. I just thought that, yeah, I guess I'm a good manager, you know, but what I realized is 
as the visionary of the business, we're not really good managers. You know, we're good leaders. We can get people to follow us. We can get people to see our vision and come along with us, but we're not, we're not, we can't slow down enough to hold them accountable to our vision, what they need to do. So we become bad managers, but great leaders. We're like these people that will, you know, show you how to storm the gate, but then we're gone. Like we left you in the dust and I just expect people to get from point A to point B and know the way. And I can't slow down to show them. I just don't have time. And yeah, I mean, I think we all are like, especially these like high visionary type personalities that we have that are, that have the big businesses that we have in the, in the group and, and the organization. So finding someone who can, who can see our vision and implement it and hold the people accountable and be a little bit more of a manager and let us be the leader. And they also see the fact that we need to be the leader and they need to be the manager and are okay with that. Like, okay. Being the number two guy, that's one of the, the real things that you have to realize, especially when you're out looking for a COO, that they, they understand that their job is to make the business as profitable as possible for the owner. And if your job is, if you want to get out of that seat and not work, their job is also to run the company while you're sitting on the beach in Pensacola, Florida. And if they're not okay with it, you got a big problem there. So um, the other thing you talked about was kind of like this like we're all friends, we're all family. So I realized that leadership and management are really important, the di- seeing the difference there and understanding who you are in that equation. And then also this family thing. I always talk, talked about my company as this family. And yeah. I, I don't know where I heard it, but somebody, I was listening to something or I was reading something and they were talking about what a family really is and how you go. I just had a family reunion this weekend, actually. And so it's perfect timing. Uh, Thursday, they all came in town. We all got together at the pool at the hotel and had pizzas. And then Friday morning's a golf tournament. Then we have a party on Friday night. And then Saturday morning's another golf tournament. We have a party on Saturday night. But you've got those people in the family that are just like that uncle that drinks too much and then might like drive home when everybody knows that they shouldn't. But you're like, ah, that's just the crazy uncle. And it's okay, you know? So you have this family that has all of these kind of quirks and, and different things that go on inside the family. And it's okay with everybody because that's just a, the family. And that's kind of what we had, right? We, that's I was, exactly what we've had. I'm developing this family that has all of these problems, but it's okay because I hired them and I like them and I trained them and I want them to do well. And maybe I give them a lot more rope than I should because we're family, right? This is what family does. You turn yeah. the other cheek. You. you know, I, have a, I have a business coach that um, I meet with periodically. And he, he said, well, you know, how many families do you see that don't have a, a degree at least or a great degree of dysfunction? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, and he's like, so you're not a family. You're, you're a functional team. You're yep. a functional team, a high-functioning team, not a family. You know, it, it's okay to be friends if you want outside of work, but you don't even have to like each other. You just have to respect the people that you work with, but you're not family because all families have dysfunction. And um, after hearing that, the implementation is, a, is it's tough, you know, having, having lived this with these people for – you know, the last couple of years, it, it really is where the bumps and the bruises are real, you know, feelings are hurt and situations are happening, but it is at the end of the day, it is a business. We don't do this for our health. And so it's, you know, you're making tough decisions, but need it. You know, if I, I used to work for large fortune 50 companies in, in sales and there was very little personal involved in, in profit driving decisions. They would do waves of layoffs, you know, if need be to increase the bottom line for shareholders and we're the shareholders, 
Mm-hmm. You know, You're only one, most likely. Right. And so it, at the end of the day, it's, you, you, he's, he's given me the advice that, you know, you need to imagine like you and Becca and Terry and all these guys are sitting on your board, for instance, and you've got to take these decisions and explain them to your board. And so you're allowing this person to flail and only work at 25% because their family go, go pitch that to your board. Who's invested all this money and, and they're not getting their dividend this quarter how are they going to feel about family? You're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. oh, I totally agree. And uh, the other thing, when you project that to your, to your staff is they feel like they, they deserve something. They're owed something. It's this like expectation that they get this. I found, I, I used to call it like hitting the blackjack ATM. Uh, yeah. So my company, if you don't know, is Blackjack Real Estate for you guys listening. So we talk about like, they're just going to the Blackjack ATM. They're not showing up. They're not present. They're not working. They're doing their follow-ups, um, all of these things. And it's just because they, they think that they deserve this, like their family. Um, and I, I, it's my fault. You know, it came from the top. Like I started that problem and that epidemic and I, cause I thought that was the right thing to do. And you know what, to be perfectly honest, Jeremiah, maybe it was at that time. Like maybe I needed that in the beginning to get them to follow me, to get their buy-in because we weren't doing a lot of deals. And, you know, I, I really think back to the fact now, and I've heard it many, many times that the people who got you here may not get you there. So, you know, those people that you start with, you, I hope that they, I've, I saw Andy go through it. I saw Andy have to let go of one of I, who I thought was arguably the, his best salesperson. It was kind of the, the person that everybody looked to to be who we wanted to hire in our companies. And he had to let her go. And when that happened, I was shocked. I remember the feeling when he told me that. I went, you've got to be kidding me. I can't believe you did that. But sometimes we ha- that's, it's part of the evolution of our company and who we are. So, you know, we look at that a lot now. Of, and when Tom came in last October, Tom Flick, he's talked about leadership and management. He talked about having a high-performing team. And that really resonated with me was just like you said, that team concept, like really thinking about as a team. So he was a a quarterback in the NFL. So it's pretty high performing guy with a high performing group. And he would have these prima donnas show up to training camp who weren't performing well. And they thought that he said, it's one quote. I remember like it was yesterday. He said, Hey, Tom, this is my contract year. So can you pass it to me a couple extra times this year? And he just, he just shook his head. And that is not a high performing team. That is somebody who should not be on the field. That's somebody who doesn't care about winning. They care about themselves more than they do the team. So to have this like NFL Super Bowl championship team every year, that's what we're trying to build and develop in, uh, in our organization for sure. And we've had 120% turnover in the last uh, year and a half. So that means everybody that I've hired is not full-time with me anymore. And 20% of the people that Nate's hired since he's come on is not with us anymore either. So- but I'll tell you what, we are stronger than we've ever been. We have built this kind of culture and this company and this team that is high-performing, takes extreme ownership for everything that they do. They, they treat the company like I would or better, and that's what we need to grow. And like you said, change the bottom line. Like effectively, we've got people that are taken who are really understanding the fact that the market's getting more difficult now. It's getting tougher to find deals, and they're jumping on board with us with these pay structures that we're having to restructure some of the team to make sure that we're building in the exceeding costs of marketing into their contract. And I know you're going through some of that a little bit right now of figuring out how we become more profitable as owners. And if our people won't sign up or raise their hand or say yes to that, then 
they're probably not the team player that we thought they were. And they are the guy who's like, eh, this is my contract year. It looks like I might not make as much money. And I still kind of want to do about half the work to make that money. So they're out. Yeah. It's an easy decision to, for somebody like that to say, I'm either in or I'm out. The operative word there is decision. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, nobody's forcing you out, but this, these are the new terms. Yep. So let's talk about that a little bit. I know that you're kind of looking at some of the marketing costs. You're looking at the, the gross profit, right? Which people have been kind of talking about for a long time. Like how much gross profit do you make? It's, it'd be great. I make $3 million this year and it's, I spent $3.2 million to get it. It's not a very good business, right? I'm forking out $200,000 to look good on paper in the public. So a lot of us, I can tell it's a theme that's been going on this past week as I've been interviewing you guys is really making sure that us as business owners know where we are and where we, you know, where our bottom line net is and how much we're making and really have the pulse on that. Because I think as the market tightens up like it is right now, we've really got to be careful of just not outspending or outpacing ourselves. Like you said, like you balanced the checkbook and you lost money this month. So what are some things that you guys are doing in your business to help that? Maybe that'll help some of the people who are getting going right now. Well, we did put into place the, the marketing costs prior to really uh, this week. We just play, we paid a flat percentage of commission no matter what size the deal and also um, didn't, didn't account for what our marketing costs were going in. And so we've, thanks to, to Becca Shea's marketing analysis, she really got in the weeds and broke down all of our numbers for us. And our average pot cost per contract is about 2,600, but our average cost per viable contract was about 3,800. And so that means every contract that closes, we're paying $3,800. And, and we've, we've had, you know, some deals written really skinny and then other deals that are really good and, and people get paid the same amount, no matter what their production level. And that doesn't necessarily benefit the company unless you get to an economies of scale where you have enough enough deals in the hopper that a, a little one would still be adding to the profit, if you will, you know, because for us, if, if our cost per deal is $3,800, you know, we get a $500,000 or $5,000 margin, $1,200 is left over to pay commissions. And that doesn't account for uh, employment costs, you know, with, with taxes, because we W2 everybody, our transaction coordinator, all the systems, all the cell phones, all the, everything that goes into that. So that really, net net is a loss for the company. If we get a $5,000 deal, unless we have, unless we have six or eight or 10, $20,000 deals in front of it, and we're just throwing that on top. Okay. Cause we've already covered our bottom line. So let me, let me go back to that real quick, just so everybody understands. You had a marketing cost per deal of like 2,600 and then a viable cost per deal of like 3,600. So like $1,000 more, is that right? 38. Yeah. So $1,200 more. So why is that for those that like don't really understand what happens between a deal and then a viable deal? Like what's your definition there? Just so we're on the same page. Attrition. So turnover, like they, either the seller changes their mind, the, we wrote it too tight and it's too close to retail. Um, we go back for a, a price cut, we call it a haircut, <laughs> and uh, they, they say no, you know, and or we can't find an end buyer, and it's not something that we would flip, so we terminate the agreement. And um, you know, this so the cost per contract, just the big everybody we put on paper is twenty six hundred dollars. Those that actually close and that that aren't part of that attrition are it costs us about thirty eight hundred. 
I got it. That makes sense. And the other thing that I, I want to touch on is the fact that we should have some natural fallout in our companies, I think. Um, if, we, if we're closing 100% of the deals, we're likely not as aggressive as we need to be um, with those contracts. So we're not writing the contracts. We, we probably left a lot of profit on the table at those appointments, like one that we're $5,000 off and we're not trying, especially in today's market where we can really kind of it's it's so hard to find deals that a lot of people are paying a lot more on the back end than they have been in the past. So um, we want to see about in my company at least I don't know about yours, but we're going to be about twenty five percent attrition right around there. So that's I think that's a that's we're aggressive. And the other thing is like we didn't really talk about title issues, things like that that pop up, liens, judgments, all this stuff that the seller lies to us about. Those kind of fall out too. So we were at thirty eight percent. Okay, thirty eight percent. Is that where you want to be? Oh. You know, okay. well, I'd say 25 is, is more suited for rational, you know, 38 is a little high, but the, we've, we've had people write them too thin, you know, and not, we have a calculator that everybody uses, but they're not using. So okay. they're just, they're going in and shooting from the hip at, at, at a higher percentage than we should. And so we're, we're in this perpetual cycle of not having co- tough conversations. And so the, the employment agreement that we're putting in place really you know, cause you can ask and ask and ask, but it's really hard to make somebody, even an employee do something that's uncomfortable for them. So we've changed the pay structure to a point where if they're not doing the things they're supposed to do, it's going to financially be detrimental. Um, and also it will, it will offset those, those small margin deals to, so they're not a, a net net loss to the company. So we, we did the, the per deal structure where up to a certain quota, They've got to the, it's based on the margin of the deal. So it's zero to five K it's, it's X percent, five to 10, it's X percent, 10 to 15, it's X percent above 15, it's more. Um, and then, so there's, they're on that per deal until they hit a threshold every month, which then once they hit their quota, and I think this would vary for each market. I can, I can go into the figures if you want, but. No, I don't think we should. I think, you know, I think some of it is, I think what I'm getting at here, like what I'm putting out of what you're talking about is you, what you want to do is you want to encourage your sales reps to make sure that their contracts are fat enough for the company to start making money. Like at some point, you know what your operational cost per deal is. I've talked about it on a couple podcasts ago. For us, we know exactly how much it is in each market to find a deal for marketing costs and then how much for operational costs on top of that. So I know that if we do a deal under 10,000, let's just say that, that the company doesn't make a ton of money. I don't make a ton of money, right? The business owner, anything over that, that should be profit for the business. So if I know that just as an easy example, $10,000 is what it costs the company all in this whole year to do our contracts. So if we do 200 deals and that costs us $10,000, so we need to make over $2 million as a company before I make money. Okay. In, In my case, I pay myself a salary. So it's built into the operational costs. But if we don't make more than that, then the company's breaking even or losing money. So if we know that, then we can start justifying what we pay our sales reps and the rest of our people if we're commission basing them or incentivizing them or bonusing them to figure out where we, where we want them to be on their contracts. So it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing. You're kind of like penalizing them to write a, a lower contract. They're still going to do it because they're going to get paid, but really giving them like what I, what I always look at this is I want to align the incentives with them and the company. So how do I make sure that we are looking, we're going the same direction? Like they don't, they really care about what the company's doing because they should, 
if the company's in business, they have a job. If the company's not in business, they don't have a job. So they should care about the business and it being healthy. And if you have people that are on your team, your team, right, your high-performing team that yep. don't care about that, then they shouldn't be on the team. And putting something like this in place will tell you who's in and who's out. Quickly. Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe we'll talk in a couple of weeks and you'll tell me where you're at there. So, yeah, um, yep. so I, think that's, I think that's great stuff. And I think I want to highlight this for anybody that's listening. If you're not looking at your marketing costs per deal, you really need to be. Because in this marketplace, if you're paying, what I found was part of the reason why we were getting squeezed, and I think you probably were too, and Andy probably was too, is because we're still paying off of the same pace uh, structure we were three years ago when it was kind of like shooting fish in a barrel. And now as the increase in the spending of the company, the increased overhead, the increased marketing costs, the harder it is to find deals, all this stuff, the competition, anything that people are out there complaining about right now. I mean, we're still finding the same number of deals, right? We're still doing hundreds of deals. It's just costing us a little bit more money to do it. And with that, yeah. And when we're paying on the same gross commission off the gross profit, right? Like we were before, that expense is not changing. It's not changing with the, with the market cycle. So we've really got to build that in. So we found that same thing. We were adjusting our market and spend, making sure it's as efficient as possible with key performance indicators and really watching it and tracking it, turning on and off different marketing channels. And then also building something like that in where we take the marketing costs into account. The other thing that does is it takes the sales rep and it takes their focus on how much it costs to get deals. If they go find their own deal, for example, their cost per marketing goes down in their market. So what I found was people weren't going out looking for more deals. I said, I'll pay you twice the commission if you go find your own deal. And they're like, oh, okay, that's great. But you're feeding me all the time. Why would I even leave? Have you found a good way to make that happen? (laughs) Not yet, but hopefully this is. So I have found that that has increased since we put this marketing cost in place because I showed them that they actually have a say in their marketing costs going down. And I showed them that if you bring in just one more deal over the next quarter, Look at what happens to the cost per marketing dollar. And then if you did 20 deals that quarter, look at how much more money you would make on each deal. It's almost like exponential when it comes to that. It's a compound effect that they get. So if you can show them and motivate them, like actually show, I don't know, I'm an engineer. I want to see how it works. Like show me behind the curtain, right? So I feel like if I show them what's going to happen and show them what's possible, then they can go out and actually and do it. Like you'll get paid twice on this one and then you'll get paid on all the next 20 that you do because we adjust it every quarter. So some cool stuff that we're doing quarterly. Yeah. So Nate and I will talk a little bit about that. I think, um, at flip hacking live too, uh, from stage, kind of some of the things that, that we're doing to make sure that the company's more profitable. And look, if you're, if you're like just getting going and you're, you're, you're doing all the appointments right now and stuff like that. This doesn't really apply to you, right? This is more for the, the guy who's running a business, a guy or gal who's running a business that probably has, you know, anywhere from five to 15 employees or something like that, where they have sales reps that are going out there. And I know Jeremiah was kind of like, hit this number, hit this number, hit this number. You don't necessarily need to be, as if you're getting going, like you got low overhead, you got low expenses, make it easy. We, I started paying 10% on all the deals. And then when I needed this, I started implementing it, but I implemented it probably too late. Like you, we got to the point where we started feeling it and then we went, what's going on here? This doesn't feel good. And out of water, (laughs) just getting hotter and hotter. "Ah." Yep. So, so if you're at that point and you're starting to think about the future though, at least hopefully you can listen to this, go back to it or start thinking about that. Take some notes for like, Hey, this is, 
the future company, don't make the same mistakes that we made. Start looking at it and like treating it like a business from the beginning. I mean, that's really what we're trying to do here in this group and this podcast and everything that we're doing is automate and systemize what we're doing. Try to remove ourselves from the business if that's what you want to do, but making sure that you're looking at it like a business, not another job for yourself. If you want another job, I don't know, we might not be the right fit for you. Um, there's some people that really like that and that's what they want to do. That's fine. Um, but I think we're really, really good at kind of marketing sales and the operational side of things and sharing this kind of information. I love the fact that we're talking about like the ups and the downs now. We're not just talking about like how great everything is. Um, but it still is pretty good, right? I mean, I don't want to just keep going on about um, stuff you guys are struggling with or things that have changed over the last year. Um, so like how are things going for you otherwise besides this? Like you saw a compression last year. You're starting to come out of it. The COO, I met him at the last event. He is looks like I love the things that he was saying at the event. It was awesome. Yeah, things are, we're right in a, in a restructure. So I do think, so the, the new market is really reflective of this restructure because the, the rep that was hired there started the same day as the COO. And so the expectations were, were there and, and there wasn't this preconceived notion of, everything how it had been. And so in the last two weeks, we've gotten eight really solid deals in, in Kansas City, which you would think Kansas City would be more competitive than Wichita because it's a, such a bigger market and higher price point. But we've found it to just be very similar or better. Um, so I'm, I'm super pumped for what's coming in KC. And um, also Wichita, we've got more leads than we can – we've been able to work through we've, we've implemented the marketing stuff that Adam had been doing mm-hmm. and um, it tripled our responses and tripled our leads. So I, I know that hasn't been consistent with everybody across every market, but it really worked well for us. And um, so we're, we're really trending in the right direction. And we've also uh, brought in a project manager we're, we're interviewing tons of subs now. So it just, I can't wait for, the report back in October because, yeah. you know, right now I, we have a lot of positive inertia, but not a lot of positive results because we're, I mean, I knew this when I hired Bernie, um, I've never taken on operational debt, you know, to, to keep the lights on. And I made that choice when I hired him, I knew we would be going into operational debt mode because we'd be seeing turnover and decreased production for increased production. And we're right on the cusp of seeing that increase now. So, um, I would tell you that things are going really well. You know, it just, it's, it's, I, I wish I could fast forward, but all these things take time. So let me ask you this. I think I know the answer, but how did you know that when you brought Bernie on that you would start seeing that kind of change in, um, in your business, like letting people go and stuff like that? One is because the same thing happened to you. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and then two is, I like, I just know this about myself. I, I, A to Z, I expect people to get there and they just weren't doing it. And we were doing okay or well, you know, a lot of people, you look at the numbers and you look at everything and we go on, you go on podcasts, you know, million dollars in the first year. Even at that though, we weren't, we weren't awesome. You know, we weren't efficient. We weren't a high functioning team. And that's where I, as a, as an owner want to get to. You know, I mean, it, nobody suits up. I used to play competitive sports. I'm pretty sure you did. And, 
Um, nobody suits up to go halfway. You know, I want to go out there and kind of win. No. Yeah. No, I don't want to, I don't want to see if we can, if we can kind of compete. I want to go out there and crush it. And so we're, we're taking the steps that we need to as a, as an organization to, you know, crush it. So I'm fired up. I'm awesome. I'm, I'm excited. Well, I stu- still do play competitive sports. I suit up for soccer once a week and I play as hard as I can out there at the indoor league with the other guys and I come back hurt every, it's, it's not, <laughs> not that awesome. It's embarrassing. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I think, you know, the big thing is, is kind of, I, I wish I, I didn't, I didn't expect that. Honestly, when I hired Nate and we came in, like I had no idea that we were going to turn over that many people, that all this was going to happen, that my profitability was going to go way down. It was really, um, we should have known. I feel like I, I just didn't know that I had people calling me like, hey, do you know that he's doing this? Hey, do you know that he's doing that? Yeah, I'm asking him to do it. So I heard a lot of the same things from, um, from Bernie at the event and you and things like that. So it's, it's, I think it's really cool to be able to, to share some of that stuff with you guys and hopefully that you don't go through the same mistakes or at least you're expecting it. Like if you're expecting it, it's totally different than if you're not. I feel like we, we kind of were scrambling for like a year to try to figure out what are we doing wrong when I think looking back, it's like we were doing the right, we were doing things right. So like really picking your horse and, and getting behind that horse is probably the most important thing that you could do and, um, and make sure that you have the right person in place. So, and usually when it's a CEO, COO relationship, that's, that's a really, really big thing. And we'll talk about that some more. I, I plan on bringing Nate on the podcast and he'll also be at Flip Backing Live with us this year to share some of that stuff. And we're doing, we got a couple other cool things in the works um, with me and him that, that I plan on doing. So we'll kind of uh, announce that later. So, um, you, you also built this like big rental portfolio, this owner finance portfolio too, right? Can you talk, like just take a minute or two to share, like you've come really far since you started in that. And we were talking earlier, it's a little bit of this kind of, this thing that was in addition to what you were doing that is definitely going to get you to this future place of uh, freedom, financial freedom. Well, in our market, there is, um, they have median price points about 137 in Wichita, which was our primary market when we started. And, you know, when you get down below 100, you start to see price compression. A kitchen in a $40,000 house costs the same as it does in a $100,000 house, at least in Wichita. And so if we would, we would get a, quite a few $90,000, $105,000 houses, and we, we'd essentially get them, you know, for 50% of ARV, uh, but we had a hard time and this could have been a function of a buyer list at the time didn't have enough buyers and it was also i think it's a function of the market because there that it's more of a normalized market versus like a denver where it's harder to harder to find deals you can you can get deeper discounts there and so the buyers really want you know 70 is kind of the bottom line 70 percent, and a lot of them prefer lower but so we'd find these deals that were 50 percent equity and we couldn't move them, but they're pretty much moving ready. And it's like, gosh, you know, I can't continue to buy these, buy these, buy these without an exit strategy uh, and, and the rental portfolio. So we, we started talking to people about sub two or carrying. And that's the way we did. We did a proof of concept and we, we did like 20 of them where we, we bought them on owner carry or seller finance or, or, or subject to and then we'd turn around, we'd do whatever was needed to make them safe, clean, and up to code. 
you know, just a very minimal rent ready. And then we'd sell them with, on, a, on a rent to own. And at first we started doing contract for deed, but then my accountant smacked my hand. You don't want to do, you know, so many of those a year. You need to start out and you need to hold them for a certain amount of time. And then you can convert them to contract for deed. And so we, we started doing that on these deals because it just was crazy. You don't want to give away 50% equity. I know there's something here, but we couldn't monetize it. And you can't, I mean, you don't want to flip a, a tight margin deal like that. You just can only do so many. We'd rather save our capital for the larger deals with the larger margins. And so um, started acquiring those and only picking the ones that needed very little rehab because then it required not near as much cash. And so a lot of times with the, with the option deposit or the down payment from the buyer or the, the tenant buyer, we were able to get into the house for free and establish cash flow. And so we did 20 of those in the first year that we tried it and um, it worked great. We had zero defaults and up to that point. Now we've had two out of that initial round of 20. So about 10% attrition rate, but they weren't people that quit paying. Um, one got transferred for work and, and walked actually forfeited their, their deposit. And the other one um, is, has refinanced, but the, uh, it, we, we did our proof and it worked. So then we went out and I started raising capital and, and just reproducing it. We started a whole nother wing of, of business to just cater to this market. So um, that that's separate. And then a lot of the, a lot of the sub twos, my old uh, employer told me anytime you get somebody that will provide you financing, that's not a bank, you, you buy it, you know, <laughs> you just buy it find a way to do it. And so I've, I, that was really good advice. And so every sub two that is rational and doesn't require a ton of work, I pick up, even if we've got to leave it sit for a few months to, to scrape together the capital to rehab it. And so I've went from zero to, to right at 50 rentals in three years, just by doing that. And very little of my own credit. I've, I've used, um, you know, the, the other people's money, if you will, it's like those, those you know, you don't need, money or credit to buy houses. Oh, this is true. I'm, I'm walking proof. That's, so awesome. that's yeah, that's how we've done it. And yeah. I've seen, I've seen some of your retirement plan. Oh yeah, for sure. I've seen your kind of spreadsheet and stack of what it looks like down payments, monthly payments. And it's staggering to see, we talked about kind of the exponential growth of the salespeople. If you show them th those kind of things, but this is, this is true. Like it really does compound, especially in the beginning when pretty much everything you're making is interest. So it's, it's pretty powerful. I've done a couple of those inside my IRAs and 401ks and stuff like that. And I absolutely love it. So that's cool. 50 property. Yeah in a couple of years um, on top of everything else that you're doing is pretty amazing. So uh, congratulations. Thanks. Okay. So I've asked, I kind of asked everybody this, I we're starting to wind down on time right now, but um, I kind of, you know, when I came to you and, and said, Hey, Jeremiah, I want you to be a part of this. I want you to come over and, and help me be a sounding board, be part of this kind of board um, with me. Like, why did you say yes? What was it about this community, about what we're doing here that made you want to kind of be a part of it and be involved? Two things. Um, one is the group that you, that you picked to be a part of that and you, um, you know, having watched your track record because you are about a year and a half in front of where I am, you know, and, and like, I, you were chasing Andy, I think it was, yeah. right? Yep. I've mentally been chasing you. And so um, 
seeing the success that you've had, I knew, you know, that this would, this would be a, um, a good thing to be part of. But then secondly, personally, this is, this is a hundred, 300 or 400% impacted my business, changed my life. Right. You know, had I not gotten snagged by Justin's marketing on that first flip packing line, like it was a random email that came to me that I, 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 okay, I'm booking those tickets. And I booked them. I went to flip hacking and then uh, applied for seven figure, got denied. And then, um, you know, went back after that, resigned from my position, started my company and, uh, you know, started building. If I wasn't in the group, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. And so, I, you know, having the opportunity to, to help other people in a way that I've been helped is a uh, it's a great opportunity. It's an honor, you know? And so I'd like to be able to get back in the same respect that it's, my cup has been filled, you know, and it continues to be like, just, just the, the change of the commission structure, you know, here in that in Boston, I continue to get things um, every meeting that, that pay for my membership three, four five, you know, 10 times. So, um, you know, to, to be a part of that, that's why. That's awesome. And I think it's just a testament to kind of who you are and who everybody that's, that I'm bringing on here is, is that's where it comes from. It comes from, we were a part of this. We kind of like grew up inside this organization. So when Justin, you know, offered me up the opportunity to buy the company, it was, I, I saw it as this, um, I, I, I have a, a duty to, to keep it, keep people like to get their business where, like give back to the people that gave so much to me. Like, I feel like you're pay it forward. Right. hundred like, percent. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the kind of people that we have. That's why I wanted to bring you guys all on right now in the beginning of this to show everybody what it's like and what we're doing and, and who, who you guys are. So they can feel like these are the people they want to spend time with and be around. And this, these are this leadership of this group. Right. So, um, that's awesome. Uh, you know, I didn't know what you're going to say. So, um, it's funny because everything that you said kind of resonates with me too. It's really just, I need, I know I need to be a part of this because it's, it's exactly why I started, you know, two years ago, why I started getting involved and why I stayed involved when it got tough. And I had, you know, two businesses going on and I was running this one and trying to run the other one. And, and, but I mean, I've gotten so much from this group, from these people that I want to give back 10 times over. So if I can just give back like 10% of what I've gotten, then it'll be a success. So, um, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I think that you guys can all hear the person that Jeremiah is and you've listened to all the other podcasts that we've done here. And, um, you know, you can kind of see the people that we have in this organization. And if you want to be a part of it, you kind of know where to find us. So the next event that we're going to have is obviously Flip Hacking Live. You're going to be there. I'm going to be there. We'll be speaking on stage, right? Absolutely. Sharing some sales secrets. Yeah, that's right. So I don't want to, I don't want to give them too much on that. I know we're still working on the details of what you guys are going to be talking about, but I mean, Jeremiah is a, it's pretty obvious from this presentation, this uh, podcast that the rock star in sales that he is and his background. So um, he's going to be sharing that obviously from stage and I'm really excited about what you'll bring to the table. So um, October 10th through the 12th in San Diego, uh, you can go to fliphackinglive.com and uh, get your tickets. Uh, don't wait. We will sell out. I'll tell you that because there's a lot of people that'll be lining up to shake Jeremiah's hand while we're there. It'll change your life. It did mine. It will. Yeah. We haven't even talked about kind of, uh, you talked, you mentioned it briefly, but it's kind of where you, um, you got your start was that event, right? It was, it was yeah. pretty yeah. amazing. So I, 
I know there, I can count on, you know, uh, you know, multiple hands who these, the people that come up and share with me that just one or two nuggets that they take from this event that have changed the kind of trajectory of their business. And it's really amazing to see. I mean, it's a, um, what do we call it? Um, open the kimono we call it in the military it's like you get everything from our business from stage like we're going to share it all with you yeah we're not holding back right we're not holding things back it's not a surface level type uh, presentation that we're doing it's a we're going to lay out the whole system who we use how we hire like there's we're not we're if, if we're putting people on stage they're sharing the goods so what we do and I make sure that they're willing to do that. And if they're not, they're not going on the stage. So, um, and it's what we do inside the group too, every day, like every, all these meetings inside the Facebook group, stuff like that. We're really kind of sharing it all. So it's really cool. Um, okay. Well, Hey, I appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us, Jeremiah. It's been, uh, it's been a pleasure and I learned a couple things I didn't know. So, um, I always love talking with you and, um, and spending time with you. So thanks. Yeah. Thanks for the time. Okay, we'll see you at Flip Hacking Live, man. FlipHackingLive.com. Go get your tickets. Don't wait. We'll see you there. Thank you for listening to the House Flipping HQ podcast with Bill Allen. If you haven't gotten your tickets to Flip Hacking Live to see our guests live on stage sharing all of their systems and secrets, make sure you go to FlipHackingLive.com before tickets are sold out. This is an event you can't miss. We'll see you in San Diego.